Okay, last weekend was a pretty big weekend in the Smith household. So like I mentioned earlier, Brian and Abby got married, and Abby was our roommate for the last two years, and it was just so fun for our entire family. So I have four kiddos, fifth coming next month. Please pray for us. Um, but my kids, they had always wanted to go to a wedding. But because of COVID last year, they were planning on going to some, but they didn't. But we got to celebrate that last week. They got to not just go to a wedding, but they also got to be in the wedding. And my sweet little two-year-old daughter, Margot, she was a flower girl. Cutest flower girl ever, says the bride. So Margot, you know, she's coming down, not really dropping the flowers, just running with her basket. And her brothers were her escorts. And I loved it because I'm hoping that they will be her escorts for the rest of her life. And it was, it was just so fun because I got to officiate the wedding. Michelle, my wife, was the matron of honor. And we just had a ball. It was so fun. It was such an honor to serve Brian and Abby last weekend, last Saturday. And then after the ceremony, holy cow, we partied. It was, it was a lot of fun. And we danced like crazy people. And what was so funny was my four-year-old son, Augie, he, he comes in and he's like, he's pretty quiet and reserved. And he's just like looking around while he's on the dance floor, like looking at everybody. And then all of a sudden he's just like busting out, going crazy. And just like, he just doesn't care. And he goes to town and it's so cute. And so afterwards, or maybe the next morning, we were talking to Solomon, my oldest. I said, Solomon, how was the wedding? And he looks at Michelle and I and he's like, that was the best day of my life, Dad. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good, buddy. Well, in contrast to this, this awesome weekend that we had last week, this past week has been a little tough for the Smith family. Many of you know my son Solomon. He broke his arm a few weeks ago, and he just can't enjoy summer like he wants to. Uh, he's been battling headaches for a number of years, and he was battling some of those here this week. We have been walking through with friends who have recently lost loved ones to cancer. We have a number of people in our lives who are battling mental health issues over and over again. And to top it all off, we got a message from Michelle's mom that her grandfather's in heart failure and he doesn't know Jesus. And it seems like when it rains, it pours, right? So we had this, this high, high only to come to this low, low. However, that's why I love that we are going through the Psalms this summer. The Psalms speak to the highest highs, but they also speak to the lowest lows in our lives. The Psalms are very helpful for us because they teach us to not just suppress our emotions, which is all too common in our culture, but they also teach us not to express our emotions in a, as a means to our own end. No, the Psalms teach us to express our very feelings, emotions, the highs and lows, and direct them directly to God. 
And so Psalm 3 has been a balm for my soul here this week. Psalm 3 is considered a psalm of lament written by King David. He's lamenting because of the troubles that have abounded in his life. He's in danger. Physical danger. Spiritual danger. And it drives him right to God. And so I pray and hope that Psalm 3 will be a balm for your soul this morning as well. Because we're going to see how Psalm 3 teaches us that when troubles abound, we can trust and triumph in the Lord. And those are my three points here this morning. Troubles, trust, and triumph. So let's dive in. My first point, troubles. Verses 1 and 2 here. So, many of the Psalms begin with titles. and Some of them are helpful, some of them are not. But this one particularly is helpful because it gives us a little bit of background of what's going on in the author's life. So it says a Psalm of David. He's our author. It says, when he fled from Absalom, his son. So the context of the Psalm is found in 2 Samuel specifically verses 15 or chapters 15 through 17. And we have Absalom. So if you're unfamiliar with Absalom is David's son, one of one of his sons and he's quite the character. He's described as no one praised, no one has been praised as much as Absalom for his handsome appearance. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head there was no blemish. How would you like to have that reputation? No blemish. Any of us think we do have that reputation, but we know. Well, Absalom might not have had blemishes in his appearance, but he certainly had blemishes in his character. You see, Absalom, his son, he devises this plan, a coup to overthrow his father and become king in Israel. And so David... The king, the warlord David, he sees this scenario. He understands what is up against him. And he runs. He flees. He gets out of dodge. The proverbial fight or flight instinct comes in with David and he's out of there. He gone. He flees. And that's where we come to Psalm 3. This prayer that we find ourselves in this morning. And I, I really believe it teaches us how to come to God with our troubles. The various troubles that we find ourselves in. Verse 1. David addresses God. He says, O Lord. Notice that he doesn't say, O God. He says, O Lord. That is all caps, Yahweh. The covenant the faithful covenant name of God. David addresses him. And then notice the repetition of the many words, many. He says, many are my foes. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying. This is poetry. It's a poetic understatement of what David is facing. What he's experienced. The many who have once praised Him are now against Him. The many who once praised Him when they said, Saul has slayed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. 
the counselors, generals, soldiers who were for David, the people of Israel are no longer for him. You see, it's not just Absalom that's after him that wants to overthrow him. David has many enemies. And they're multiplying and they're rising against him. These foes, they're after him and they want him dead. So David is in this physical danger. This physical danger is going on here. But I really believe that there's something deeper going on here, which is causing David to lament. Verse 2, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Notice that it's not just the physical danger that's what's going on here. No, I think the deeper reality is a spiritual danger. You see, these words that are coming at David says they're they're piercing his soul. They say of his soul. They're attacking David for who he is and what he has done in his life. And if you know the life of David, he's been marked by his sin, namely his adultery with Bathsheba and then the murder of Uriah, one of his mighty men, most faithful to him. David takes him out for his own ends. And so these many foes, they're saying that God has abandoned him. There is no salvation. There is no literal deliverance for David in God. He must not be the king. His sin has marked him and will forever mark him. God has left him. You see, David's character is being attacked here. The very identity, who he is as king. So there's not just this physical danger. There's a, there's a deeper spiritual reality going on here. And these sharp words cause David to lament. Lament to God. His soul is troubled and he is in great despair. There have been a few times in my life when I have had an element of despair, maybe similar to this, maybe not. But as I mentioned in my introduction, my son Solomon, he's battled with headaches. He's battled with these for a number of years. I'm thankful for the many of you who have rallied around us and prayed for our family. And my little guy, he's, he's seven. And they started a couple years ago. We'd go up to altitude and he'd get a headache and He'd sleep it off or we'd give him some water or protein like any little boy needs. But then they, they just kept coming and we talked to the pediatrician and she said, it's no big deal. Some kids just grow out of it, but he hasn't grown out of it. And it's caused this, this fear in my soul. And so we've gotten him some medicine, hasn't worked. We got him an MRI, didn't tell us anything, came back clear. We even got him some glasses. He looks like Harry Potter with these like round glasses. But nothing, nothing has helped and he continues to battle these things. And, and so I cry out to God and, Lord, why? What's going on here with my little man? Is, is this for something that I have done? Is this for my sin? And I begin to turn inward on myself and blame myself. And, and I, I pray and I ask God, would you, would you take it away from him? Would you, would you give it to me? When troubles come, I think they cause us to pause. They cause us to pause and reflect, or, or so they should. And with our passage here this morning, 
trouble that David finds himself in causes him to pause. And you might notice the word in your Bible, Selah. If you're a Hebrew scholar, you might pronounce it Selah. This is a unique word. As I chased it down here this week, there's a lot of disagreement in what it means. You might have a footnote in your Bible that says, the meaning is uncertain. But what I really believe that why it's here in this psalm is it's meant to pause. It's meant to reflect. And when trials and troubles come in our lives, I think we're to pause and to reflect and take our focus off the trial and put our focus on the Lord. And that's what David does here. So, this morning, I want you to pause. I want you to reflect. What trouble do you find yourself in here this morning? As you, as you come into these doors and many people are smiling and, and you put on the smile, but you know deep down in your soul this, this thing of unrest is going on in your life. What is that? What is that trouble? David here in this psalm teaches us to lament amidst troubles. He complains to God for what's going on. But notice what he does with that complaint. He doesn't bring it to other people. He doesn't grumble. He directs it right to God Himself. And that causes him to trust in God. Which leads me to our second point here this morning. A trust in the Lord that brings confidence. This is verses 3-6. through six. So after that Selah, David quickly turns his attention away from the many and directly to his God. He recounts who the Lord is to him and how Yahweh has been faithful to the king. Look with me. Verses 3 and 4, how David recounts who God is to him. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory, the lifter of my head, cried aloud to the Lord and He answered me from His holy hill. These are sweet mercies of God, ladies and gentlemen. The first, a shield. What David is saying here as God being the shield, it's not your Captain America shield. Okay, It's not the shield that you have on your arm in hand-to-hand combat. No, this type of shield that he's talking about here is a shield that covers your entire body. And In Israel, when they would use these type of shields, it's when they would be marching, they would be following their commanders, and it would have protection up high from attack, and it would have protection down low and to the sides. And you'd be marching next to your homie. And David is saying that God is a shield. One commentator, I think, said it best, Oh, what a shield God is for His people. He wards off the fiery darts of Satan beneath in the storms of trials from above, while at the same instance, He speaks peace to the tempest within the breast. God is a shield all around, but He's also a shield inside of us. The next mercy, He says, David says that God is His glory. He says, you are my glory. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, glory means weight or significance. I feel like at least a couple times a year we preach a sermon on glory. 
Well, David's glory is not in what his foes are saying. He's not giving weight or significance to what his foes are saying about his character or his identity or even being a father to Absalom who's coming after him. None of that. David relocates his glory. He relocates the weight and significance in his life to God. Now why? Why does he do that? Well, I think it has to do with the next mercy that David says that God is the lifter of his head. You know, when, when you're down, when you're troubled, when you're in despair, you're sullen. Your, your countenance is down. But what David is saying here is he's expressing trust in God that he will lift his head. He already has done it in David's life. David was this humble shepherd boy. God anointed him as king. God exalts the humble. And he will restore David to honor. David knows that. And he's expressing trust. Because God has promised from David's line that there will be a king that sits on the throne forever. And David knows this. And David takes God at his word. And his trust builds. His confidence builds in God. Notice that his confidence isn't just in the knowledge of the future, nor in the might of his forces around him, but it's in God. God is the very lifter of David's head. And then there in verse 4, David has this bedrock of trust in his soul as he expresses it. David, David cries out to the Lord. And I think this is, this is a very interesting and pointed here in the text that as we have direct opposition from the foes coming to David with their words, David then turns his words to God. His words are the ones that pierce through the heavens and to God. Where He is on His holy throne. In His holy mountain. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Psalm 115.3 David's cry is louder, stronger, and outsoars the cry of his foes. How do we know that? It's because David says that God answered his prayers. And again, I think this is a great model for us when troubles abound. To cry out to God verbally. So often we become just so inward and internal and we know God is there and we have a direct line to Him through Christ and we just send Him a little text message in our mind. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let us cry out to our God. We have a great means of grace and mercy in prayer. And David expresses that here verbally. He cries aloud to God. And God answers his prayer David's trust is not in his troubles, but David's trust is in his God. And his trust abounds. I think there's probably no more encouraging aspect of the Christian life when God answers your prayers. Each of us probably have a testimony of how God has answered prayers in our life. Years ago, I read this great book called A Praying Life. and He had this real practical tool of you take little note cards and you have a note card for 
particular person or area in your life that you want to pray for. And you write those things down or scriptures that you pray for for that person. It's been sweet over the years just to see how the Lord has answered those prayers. And it causes me to pray more. To pray more fervently. And it takes my focus off my troubles and it puts them on my God. Sweet cordials to the soul, one commentator said of answered prayer. And then we come to our second Selah. Rest in the answered prayers of God. That's a great place to rest. Amen? And so as David's trust abounds, he looks at the other areas of his life and he has confidence. Verse 5, he's talking about sleep. David's not battling insomnia. He's not tossing and turning all night. In fact, he's camping underneath the stars. He's out in the elements and the Lord gives him sweet sleep and rest. He's not in the comfort of his kingdom. He's not in the comfort of walled Jerusalem or in the cush bed of a king. No, he's, he's out in the elements. But the Lord gives him rest, sleep. Don't we all want that sweet sleep? We're about to have a baby next month trying to catch up on all the sleep that I can. And then, David gets woke. Says it right there, I woke again. It's not that kind of woke. <laughs> Praise the Lord. No, this type of awakeness that David's referring to, it's the Lord's work. The Lord has sustained him. His trust is firm and his confidence abounds. And then in verse 6, notice that the fear is gone. As David's enemies might encircle him all the way around, his heart is firm. His trust in the Lord is secure. He's no longer afraid. Why? Why? I think it's because David relocated his glory. I think it's pretty clear here in the psalm. His glory is no longer found in who people say he is or some sort of position that he's aspiring to. He's relocated his glory in the Lord. So this morning, if you find yourself crippled by fear, if the trouble that you reflected on just a few moments ago, you find yourself being anxious about it time and time and time again, even if you find yourself tossing and turning at night on your bed, let me encourage you to examine your heart. Examine what you're giving weight and significance to in your life. Where is your glory found? When troubles abound, idols are certainly exposed. But we can have a deep trust in the Lord. And the way that we do that is see how He has triumphed, triumphed for us. And that leads me to my third point here this morning. Triumph of the Lord. This is verses 7 and 8. And so amidst David's troubles and his trust in the Lord, we see that it is God who triumphs on David's behalf. Verse 7, he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. If you notice, the entire psalm, this is David's prayer. This is his cry for deliverance. 
And contrasted with verse 1 and the many of those who are rising up against him, he's calling on the one who will rise, simply rise, and make his enemies fall. David's request is like a war cry here, a battle cry. Short, simple. It's confident. Confident in Yahweh. Because David knows that the victory, the deliverance, the literal salvation, it belongs to the Lord. Verse 7, David says that God is the one who strikes the enemies on the cheek. He breaks the teeth of the wicked. Some of us might kind of bristle at that. It makes you uncomfortable. I kind of like it. I'm a hockey player. Break the teeth. I think if David played modern day sports, he'd definitely be a hockey player. He's not afraid to drop the gloves. No, it's, it's poetic language here. Much like a lion comes and devours with his teeth. Much like enemies who hurl insults with their words. No, God takes care of this problem. He breaks their jaw so they cannot speak. And much like a lion is without, that has no teeth is without power, so are David's enemies. God does call David, God does cause David to triumph over his enemy. And even in the context of 2 Samuel, we see the eventual demise of Absalom. This, this beautiful guy with his long hair kind of gets caught in an oak and he's just dangling there. And then Joab comes and kills him. It's great. Go find it. <laughs> so this revolt ceases. David's brought back to Jerusalem and he's restored as king. God is the lifter of David's head. But notice the praise that David has for the Lord's triumph on his behalf. Verse 8. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. In direct contrast to the lies from his foes in verse 1. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the bookends to our psalm here this morning. I think more than that though, salvation belonging to the Lord is the bookends of the Christian life. You see, salvation does belong to the Lord. It is His work. It is His doing. He is the one who will bring you and will bring me to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So often we want to have some sort of say in our salvation. We want God to look upon us for what we did or we've been marked by this or that good thing. We often think, oh yeah, it was the free will of man that chose God. No, the election of God rests in Him and Him alone. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I think, said it best. The old prince of preachers from the 1800s. In his commentary on Psalm 3, he had this quote. Stick with me, it's a little long here. He said, search the Scripture through and you must. If you read it with a candid mind, be persuaded that the doctrine of salvation by grace alone is the great doctrine of the Word of God. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. This is a point concerning which we are daily fighting. Our opponents say, salvation belongeth to the free will of man, if not to man's merit, yet to at least man's will. But we hold and teach that salvation 
is from first to last. In every iota, salvation belongs to the Lord. He chooses His people. He calls them by His grace. He quickens them by His Spirit. He keeps them by His power. Spurgeon ends his quote by quoting the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9. He says, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the sweet grace of God that He has provided the very means for your and my salvation. Namely, Christ Jesus. Do you not see that the greatest enemy that comes against you is yourself? That it is your own sin before a holy God? Look what God has done. Look what God has done when we were enemies opposed, despising Him, wanting to chart our own way as rebels. Much as Jonah was a rebel, and in the belly of a whale, he cries out, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jesus is the one who has triumphed. Jesus is the one who lived, who died, more than that, who was raised. He saved us. He saved us from ourselves. And now, what a friend we have in Jesus. We are no longer enemies, but we are friends. More than that, we are children. We were opposed. Now He has given us a seat at His table. We are co-heirs with Christ. So this morning, when you walk in here, I'm not here to, to minimize your, your trouble and what you're walking through. It very well may be painful. You, you may have shed and will continue to shed lots of tears for this trouble or troubles. And it might be lifelong. But I do want to lift your head. Look to the cross upon which our Savior died. See the love of God on your behalf. See the goodness of God in your life. You see, when we put things into perspective with the cross, all things come into focus. All troubles are squashed when we know that we have an advocate for us, namely Christ Jesus. God has given you His Word. God has given you His church. Most importantly, God has given you Himself. Christ Jesus Christ in us through the Holy Spirit, the hope of glory. David ends this psalm, may the blessing of God be on his people. And I love that because David no longer has this psalm of lament that is inward focus on his own glory and focus, but it is outward. God restores David as king for the blessing of God's people. And God is bringing you through whatever trouble you find yourself in here this morning so that you will be a blessing to God's people at some point in time. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow, but it might be in the next season of life. Or it might be 10 years from now where you can speak the grace of God into someone's life through your experience as you held fast to your Savior. More importantly, how He held fast to you. Romans 8, favorite chapter in the entire Bible. 
The Apostle Paul says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? In this great crescendo, in that awesome letter, there's nothing that will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So in comparison to David, your troubles, they may be better. Your troubles, they may be worse. But let me encourage you, lift your head. Look to the cross. Look how God has triumphed for you. And will you trust Him? We have greater resources than David had. Namely, this, all of you, these are great resources that we have that David did not. But we also have Christ. And we understand the full picture of what He has done, what He has accomplished. Christ in us. The ultimate victor on our behalf. So may the blessing of God be on His people from first to last. Selah. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for this great psalm. I am grateful that You speak to Your people week in and week out through Your Word. Lord, may we never take this for granted, this gift of Your grace, the church that You have given us. Lord, I do pray for those who are troubled here this morning. I pray that they would know that it is no longer their sin that marks them, but it is the blood of Jesus that marks them. I pray as we continually look to the cross that we would find hope. God, I pray for those that are hurting. Would You direct their steps to Your people, to Your Word, and most importantly, to Yourself. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.